Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowich, who joins me this morning. Uh, she is coming to town next hour, actually, and doing something in Willimantic and also doing something in stores. Susan, good morning. Nice to have you back. And what brings you to Romantic Willimantic today? Well, good morning, Wayne, and I am coming to join Mayor DeVivo and Senator Flexer to highlight our administration's proposal to increase the earned income tax credit from 30.5% to 40%. Uh, That's going to mean $45 million in in additional tax credits to more than 200,000 families across the state, including um, a lot in Willimantic, and we're hoping the legislature will pass that. I know Senator Flexer and Representative Johnson are supporters, so uh, that is what I'm going to be talking about. So, in other words, that money that will be hopefully coming back to taxpayers in the way of an earned income tax credit, that comes out of the state coffers? Um, yes, it does, and it means that people will be getting refunds, and the average family, um, assuming this passes, will get an additional $1,600. Would that be on the 2022 taxes, or if it takes place in March of 2023, does that mean next year for the 2023 taxes? Yes, it's for the 2023 because it does have to pass. Uh, the legislature, but people will get the 30.5% earned income tax credit uh, this year. And just a reminder to folks, and this is also part of what we're trying to highlight, of course, our income taxes are due on April 15th, and there is a volunteer income tax assistance or VITA site in Wyndham to help people complete their tax forms for um, the state and federal level for free. Uh, And this is really important. Um, You get free tax preparation help if uh, your family uh, or your income is under $60,000. So what's the site for this? It's at a VITA site. Is it at the community center? Yes, it is at the education center. The Learning Center, excuse me, at 202 Scott Road, Wyndham Heights Learning Center. Okay, so it's not at the Community Center, but it's at uh, the Wyndham Heights and the Learning Center. So you come here for that, visiting the VITA site, and you talk about the awareness of the earned income tax credit. Is, is there an issue with people who could save money by using the EITC, but they don't because they either A, don't know about it, or B, they don't take the time to learn about it where it might benefit them? Yes, um, uh, that's right. Um, if you complete the taxes yourself and you're not aware of it, you are losing out, and we want families to be able to take advantage of this credit because they've earned it by working. And this is the importance of knowing about the VITA volunteers. These are people who volunteer to help people complete their taxes. And if you'd like to make an appointment, you can call 211 to get assistance. And it is so worthwhile because, as I pointed out, the average family will 
get an additional $1,600 back in the form of a tax refund. So after today's event in Wyndham, you'll be heading up Route 195, and you're going to the University of Connecticut for the Spring Career Fair. You will be delivering opening remarks. What will be your message to the students and others who are at the career fair? Uh, Please stay in Connecticut. All kinds of employers uh, will be there from uh, financial services, transportation companies, manufacturing companies, engineering firms. We want our smart, talented uh, UConn grads to stay in Connecticut, and there are many, many employers, hundreds of employers will be there. Uh, As you know, Wayne, we have over 100,000 jobs open, including, by the way, jobs in state government in all of our state departments, and we would love for our young people to meet those employers and apply for those jobs and stay in Connecticut if it's their home state or stay here uh, if they live somewhere else because we're a beautiful state with great employers. And speaking of jobs in government, I'd like to hear a story from you, Susan, about the impact that Anne Ucello made on your life as you went into the political world and made history as the first woman to serve as a mayor of a capital city, shattering glass ceilings and commanding attention, not just here, but across the globe. And I would guess that she had an impact on you and your career and your future. Anne Ucello was a trailblazer for women in politics, and she was a person who, at a fairly young age, the first female mayor of a capital city in Hartford, but also the first mayor of a capital city, first female mayor anywhere in the country. Uh, And what's unusual about that is she was a Republican, and Hartford was a very Democratic area, yet uh, because of the person she was, she was able to win and win big and served that city very well in the late 60s. Uh, And actually, she was mayor when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And as soon as she heard it happened, against the advice of the Hartford police, she thought it was important to uh, personally visit Hartford communities and urge them uh, to be peaceful in their protests, and she was successful at that. And she went on to become one of the highest-ranking women in the Nixon administration. What specifically did she do at the White House? So she was the highest-ranking woman in the Nixon administration, and she went on to work for Presidents Ford and Carter as well. And she was a uh, high-ranking person in the Department of Transportation. She was the head of the Consumer Affairs Department at the Federal Department of Transportation. And again, showing her bipartisan ability, she worked both uh, Democratic and Republican presidents. Is she pretty high on the Susan Bysowich Hall of Fame when it comes to women in politics, maybe up there with Ella Grasso? 
Absolutely, and I think we could all take a page from her playbook because at this very divisive time in our country's politics, more in Washington, uh, I think uh, other legislators should look at her example and see what good can be done if we can work together across party lines. Susan Bysowich, Lieutenant Governor, joins us this morning. Although, this weekend, do you get a promotion? I will, uh, assuming the governor continues with his plan to go watch the men Huskies play this weekend, while he is watching the game in another state, I will be the governor. So that's actually part of your job description, right? When he leaves the state, that means you're in charge. Yes, indeed. Um, When either of us leave the state, uh, we inform the other. When he tells me he's leaving the state, I do become the governor, and uh, we like to make sure that one of us is in the state at all times, if possible. So does that change your life a lot, or is it just like normal for you, only if something big happens and suddenly you've got to address that and work on that? Well, uh, absolutely. That's what I love about my job is you can never predict what happens from one day to the next. Every day is different. And I have the opportunity to visit uh, all of our 169 towns. And it's a great privilege to represent the state with Governor Lamont. Yeah, and I'm well aware of the fact that you come to our town a lot. You were here just a couple of weeks ago, and that's just one of the many towns in the state that you visit, all of them at some point or another. I saw on your social media last night that you posted this comment. The bill to end child marriage has been voted out of Judiciary Committee with bipartisan support. This is a significant step in the process of banning child marriage here in Connecticut. Now, let's finish the job. By allowing child marriage, we deprive our children of their childhood and their future. Hope you'll read the op-ed I wrote on how we can end child marriage here in Connecticut. There's a lot to digest right there, but just talk about the bill and why it's necessary and what the future of it is. So in 2017, uh, we put uh, a law into place that prohibited marriage of those 15 and under because prior to 2017, Connecticut had no law with a minimum age of marriage. And after our state acted, other states around us, like Massachusetts and New York, adopted a law that says that you must be 18 in order to marry, which truly makes sense when you consider that you can't join the military, you can't vote, you can't rent an apartment enter into any kind of contract until you're 18. So uh, this is really important, and there actually are uh, a number of marriages that have occurred in our state, people under the age of 18, and and, um, most of them were uh, young girls. And we think it's really important to uh, join the states around us that have adopted the 18-year-old marriage law, uh, because that way we know that our uh, young girls can finish their high school education and continue with college if they so choose, um, and they have a much better economic future 
ahead um, than those who marry younger than 18. This bill to end child marriage, does it also affect officiants? By that, I mean ministers, priests, justice of the peace, people like that, so that they're not allowed to be the officiant at a marriage of someone under 18. Yes, uh, that's that's right. Um, And uh, actually, the Justice of the Peace Association was, is a supporter of this legislation and stood with us as we uh, talked about this bill that is uh, on its way to the floor. Yesterday, you announced the formation of a Reproductive Freedom Coalition, a multi-state coalition of 22 lieutenant governors that will work together to protect and expand reproductive freedom and access to health care in the wake of the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Tell me more about what the Reproductive Freedom Coalition is all about and what the mission is. So it is comprised of 21 other lieutenant governors um, across the country and in our U.S. territories. Um, They have joined me in um, sharing uh, best practices on reproductive freedom issues at this moment when Roe versus Wade has been overturned by our Supreme Court and Unfortunately, it appears that a Texas federal court is likely to take away the FDA's approval of an abortion drug that has been used for the past 20 years by uh, more than 5 million women very safely. And so uh, because of this critical time and the attacks on women's reproductive health care, both in legislatures across the country and in courtrooms across the country, uh, we thought as a, a body of uh, elected statewide officials, people who represent more than 150 million people across our country, that it was important to step up, learn from one another, because each state is doing something creative and innovative to help women uh, to protect their reproductive health care rights and to expand access to health care. And this is Women's History Month, a number of topics on this, including back on Friday, the folks at the Yukon College of Agriculture and Natural Resources hosted you, the Governor's Council on Women and Girls, Women Leading in Agriculture, an event that was held at the Yukon Extension Service. Tell me more about what happened at that event. Well, we were highlighting four women's armors that do very interesting things. Uh, Reverend Sarah Smith, who has a hydroponic indoor farm, urban farm in an old manufacturing building in the city of Bridgeport, and she is growing beautiful fresh vegetables and greens um, that she distributes uh, in the community, and she's located in an urban food desert. So people really appreciate the fresh food uh, that she grows, and she employs people in the community to do that. There was a seaweed uh, farmer who uh, grows seaweed off the coast of uh, Stonington. There was a woman who is a fifth-generation veteran farmer. She's um, an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran, and she helps veterans across the state who want to become farmers or uh, better farmers. 
And finally, there was a uh, farmer of color uh, from Hartford who teaches inner city kids about growing food in the city of Hartford. Is part of that to get the point across that farming is not just a male-dominated profession? Absolutely, and also to highlight that many of the new farmers who have just started farming, like these women I just mentioned, uh, are women. So, And they are doing very interesting and innovative things to feed their communities. So the program is called Women Leading in Agriculture. In general, can you give a little State of the Union address as far as the health and status of agriculture here in Connecticut? You know, it is a $4 billion industry in Connecticut that employs more than 20,000 people. So it is a big industry, and it's really important, particularly for eastern Connecticut, because many of our uh, farms, uh, whether they're dairy uh, or hemp or vegetables, uh, are right here in eastern Connecticut. Now, Susan, as I scrolled your social media page, this one got my attention as Women's History Month nears an end. You last week were part of a witch exoneration panel discussion. Okay, is that back then, or do we have witches now? What was that about? Okay, well, uh, I can answer this question, and then I'm going to have to scoot uh, for my press conference, but... Uh, if you were, recall the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts, there were similar, similar trials that occurred in Connecticut, and uh, more than a dozen people uh, were executed because they were thought to be witches. Many of them were women, and many of them were targeted because they were different. They were uh, women who uh, had property or um weren't afraid to speak up, which was not something that happened much in the 1600s and were um, tried as witches and convicted and then executed. And their family members have been trying to clear their names. And that's what the panel will be about. Susan, it's always glad to have you on the program. Thank you for joining me today. We'll talk to you down the road, Governor. Great. Great. Thank you so much, Wayne, and have fun at the Huskies game. Yes, indeedy. That's the lady that's going to be the governor over the weekend while Governor Led Lamont is down where I'm going to be in Houston at the NCAA Final Four.